In a rapidly changing world, people wonder more and more about where their food comes from and how it was grown. The farmers who grow America's corn understand how important this is and want to share the stories from our farms of how we are working to grow an incredible crop that can be an answer to sustainability questions and is grown by men and women who value the air, water, soil, and our natural resources just like you. To find out more about how corn farmers are working to feed and fuel a vibrant economy and healthy planet, visit ncga.com. NCGA, a commitment to the future. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about... Pete, heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes. I changed it to Valentine's Day. Okay. We're protected with connection security services. You just got to be more careful, Pete. Okay. Yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels present Bring in the Closers, a podcast on making deals and doing business. Welcome to another edition of Bring in the Closers. Ryan Ray, along with my good friend, the one, the only, Ben Samuels. Ben, how are you doing, sir? You know, generally I tell you I'm doing pretty well, but this week has been pretty rough. Uh, got hit with uh, strep throat and some uh, some illness, so I've been down and out. I guess uh, depending on kind of how you look at it, I either picked a really good week or a really bad week to go down because really good week I didn't really have a whole heck of a lot you know pressing that I had to get uh, off my plate. Uh, not a great week because I didn't get a chance to go with the family and, and hang out. I was you know in bed and, and pretty miserable. But uh, but other than that, looking forward to uh, to a new month, new week. Going forward, it is a new month. That is right. It is a new month. It is a new month. I like the half glass full, full glass, half glass, half glass, half full. I'm not educated, people. I'm not educated. Thank you, Nate. Yeah, I appreciate that, Nate. Thank you. Half glass full. Go, go. The the glass is full of liquid mentality you have there. Um, So I appreciate that. And I will say, as a slight programming note, I did record a 30 to 40 minute interview with Nate about my time in China which will be on this podcast feed and the other two podcast feeds I record. So if you're curious about that, it is there. If you've heard it on one of the other shows, it is simply the same thing. So no need to go and listen to it again, unless you love hearing my my voice, and then in which case you can. Other news, Ben, real quick, is the Texas One Guys podcast hit 200-plus five-star reviews, which means producer Nate Hansen is going into Lake Granbury in early January when it is a wee bit cold. So thank you if you left a review on this. Uh, uh, if you're one of these listeners who left a review over there, well, thank you again. But in the spirit of holiday cheer, we don't want any more reviews on Text Long Guys Podcast because there could be something else to happen. So we were trying to mitigate that. So therefore, all five-star reviews come right here, right now. That's what we're looking for. Speak, which we have one. Go ahead, Ben. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I appreciate you trying to like run the show and run, I mean, like steer the boat away from where we were going to go with the conversation. But just real quick, quick plug, uh, please, five-star review. Make sure, though, that you continue to put the ones on the Texas Oil and Gas podcast, because while Nate is going to be getting wet here in about a month, there's another trigger. There's, 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 another, there's another incentive, I should say, to, to get some other people a, a, little bit, a little bit wet, a little bit cold. Yeah, and so we're, we're good. please... No, we're good. We're good. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, why not rate this show five stars? If we reach two hundred and twenty-five reviews, can we Texas just? Can, I mean, can, let's just do both. I mean, it only takes a few minutes. Just Ryan do one, hop over to the other, do the other, and that would make Ben happy. That would make Ben very happy. Wow, wow. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to promote the podcast, Ryan. I don't. I don't understand why you don't want the positive reinforcement, and I don't understand why you don't want the you know the 
the uh, the five stars. I mean, like, yeah. do, do you want to tell us about that? No, no, like there's, there's, no, no, there's not. No. There's no, no. I mean, getting 19 more five star reviews on the Textual Guest Podcast Would might be result, wonderful. Might result in me having to do something very similar to what Nate has to do. So let's 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 I mean, let's tame the let's don't set the expectation, Ben. I mean, 19. I bet I could pay like somebody like I bet I could pay like 19 people like 10 bucks a review to. Just hop over there real quick. I mean, and if, it's, it's worth two, a couple hundred bucks for me, no problem. If you know, if you knew the right that. nineteen people, while they would hate to leave me the five star review, they would do it because of the reward they would get. So it's just about finding. You have to pay anyone. Uh, but speaking of reviews, reviews, Ben, you you were complaining the other day that we're not getting any to uh, Nate and myself, and I went and looked. We do. We have nine five star reviews. So thank you, everyone. And we have a written one, which comes from Jacob Suri S U I R E. Um, it says Ryan Ray continues to show he's the best podcast co-host of all time. I should stop there, but it, there's more great content as well. So thank you for that five star review. Um, and so, you know, what else can, can be we? Said? Can, I just want to, I just want to point out the fact that he like I love that review because you're the co-host. Like you know, because you got you got there. You know, what is what's this phrase? Something rises all boats. Tide high rises tide, all boats. High tide lifts all boats. I can't there get the water. So, in the, I, mean, I can't get the water in the glass. But I got you, the boat one right. There you go. So I mean, you've got me on this one. You've got Josh on the other. I mean, you know, you're just riding coattails. It's pretty good. <laughs> I'll take it, however it comes at this point, um, for putting up with you. So there, we, there we go. Oh uh, yeah, shots fired. Whoa, whoa, it's getting feisty early. It's getting feisty early. Uh, let's get into the show though. No guests today, so me and Ben will just probably make fun of each other for the next hour. Um, ben, we wanted to talk. I know about why conferences suck so bad. And I should preface this by saying I have one conference in which was probably the best conference I've ever attended. And I, and I have some reasons to why that is. But let's start with maybe why the conferences that we regularly attend we leave frustrated with maybe. Or where, where do you want to start at, buddy? Yeah, I want to kind of rephrase it or reframe it a little bit. I mean, it's not just generically that I, you know at a, at a high level they quote unquote suck. I mean, I think it's really what I think we're seeing is you know these these industry groups and networking uh, groups and, and associations have a need and, and feel a need to you know, provide value and put out content and, and bring you know, bring in um, you bring attention to themselves but in addition to that also you know they have they feel compelled I think to to educate the public um, all of that being said it's also a money driver right it's a, it's a it's a revenue producer um, I think where I get frustrated and I think where you know where you and some others certainly get frustrated is that the there seems to be very little thought put into who's going to be in the room, what do they know already, what can actually be taught to these people that is that is new as opposed to just like part of the echo chamber. And really, you know, it's so as a specific example, I just went uh, just recently to a, a Produce Water Society uh, conference. It was the title of it was Intro to uh, Water Management and Groundwater Processes in the Permian Basin or something something like that. Uh, put on by the Produce Water Society, which is one of the preeminent society, you know, one of the preeminent associations in the space. And so I went in. You know, I started this Source Rock Midstream company and started doing some some consulting in the space in the last year. But I don't have any operational expertise. I don't. I don't really. I, you know, I never went through a course to learn any of these things. So everything that I know about the entire space is completely by things that I've read and by osmosis. And so I went into the to to the conference really looking for. You know, the nuts and bolts of the crux of these issues. Um, it was a five-hour course. 
you know, again, it was put on by the Purdue Water Society for the first two hours. It was from 8 to 1 on a Tuesday, from about 8 to about 10 or 10.30. All they talked about the entire two and a half hours was the intro to fracking course. They, they didn't talk about, you know, water whatsoever. And then they brought up a speaker that talked about for about 90 minutes and at least a half a dozen times in his talk, he looked at a slide and said, you know, I'm not really sure what that's referring to, but let me talk about this instead. Or, or would say, you know, I don't really know if that's right, but let me, let me point you in this direction. And, and so, you know, I left that course, I left at one o'clock. I don't know if I picked up anything new. And that's from someone that's relatively new in the space. There were about 50 people in attendance. Um, they addressed it actually at one of the breaks. One of the, one of the proctors did, or one of the uh, people up there did say, you know, we don't really know who's in the room today. So we're going to give you kind of a more of a high level. Um, that's a really like a specific example of, so, you know, you brand a course or you market a course as intro to water management and, and groundwater processes in the Permian Basin. And it's a five hour course. And it's in Midland. It's the other thing is it's in Midland, Texas. I mean, that's not, you know, you're not talking to people like, you know, in New York City or in Boston. I mean, if you're if you're in Midland, Texas, you have to understand your audience. And I left at one o'clock with with nothing new, with, with complete it, it wasn't of value at all. And so, and you know, that's again one, one example, but but you look at these time and time again. I mean, these conferences are you know four hundred dollars on the cheap end. They're usually six hundred dollars, nine hundred dollars, fifteen hundred dollars a pop, and then you walk in. And basically, it's a big mixer and you exchange business cards and it's good for networking to a degree. But if you go to enough of them, you see you tend to see the same people in all of them. And so at some level, that no longer becomes relevant or no longer becomes nearly as important as it was. And so you're left with, okay, so why did I pay this money if if the, the speakers aren't, you know, like there just seems to be no impetus to actually provide the value given. And so that's kind of, I want to set the table in that way and then we can kind of go from there. But I mean, do you, how do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. So I've given uh, three, I think presentations at conferences before something like that, maybe no four, I think something like that. Anyways, some in South Africa and some here in the States. And I, I don't really volunteer or ask to do those anymore, mainly because walking away from them, I'm not sure I was really adding value and it's like, okay, I'm not sure this is good because the room is kind of diverse and these, they weren't exactly the same scenario you're talking about, but it, you know, I, I would listen to other people's presentations who were maybe even better presenters than me. And I was like, this really isn't adding any value. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you. That's great, but not really, there's no real value here. So if they're not doing it, then I'm probably not doing it. And if I'm not doing it, then uh, if I'm not getting value and no one's getting value, then, then why? Then there's better things for me to do. Um, and and so, uh, you know, I, I feel like part of the issue you, you hit on a minute ago is correct, is they don't know who's in the room. Whether they should or not, we can parse out why they should or why they shouldn't. Um, but that goes a long way because if you're bringing in, uh, if you have an open conference, right, anyone can register to attend. What you find is um, the people that most want to attend are salespeople. They're trying to make a sale. Business development people, they want to make a sale. Unless you say it is an extremely engineering, you know, like how to get how to pour concrete without it freezing in sub-zero temperatures. Okay. Unless you sell that type of concrete, you ain't going to that, right? But but if it's just kind of like, well, how does concrete, you know, or how to how to lay a pipeline in the Permian? Well, if you're a pipe, if you're a guy that sells the pipeline guys. You might want to show up, and so then you've created kind of a, a wide audience. Um, now the problem is, if you get very narrow, those presentations are very technical, and they're not necessarily that entertaining because 
you, you get into really the nuts and the bolts, which is probably more what you wanted, but it's also kind of hard to, it's kind of hard. It, I am sympathetic on some level. It's hard because it's hard to kind of hit it in stride. Whereas like if you take a college course, which you graduate college, they, they, they do the course over and over, they get feedback and they can kind of adapt it here. You're kind of saying, well, we're going to put something on like once a year and it's, it's probably a little harder to um, hit the right target audience um, and get the content uh, streamlined. So does that make sense? It, it does, you know, although I think, I guess my response to that is, you know, using my example again, you know, if you're, if you're promoting a course and going to be teaching a course on intro to water management, you can't spend the first two hours of the course oh, agree, talking about agree, fracking. Agree, like, No, 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 I, I agree with that, so yes, yeah. What, what, what I mean more specifically is if you promote a course and you put out an agenda, I, I would argue that you are... You, you have to follow that. You have to, if you're going to teach a course on intro to water management, you can't get deviated on something else. It, but, you, but, you know, and another thing I want to talk about, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to mention specifics, you know, and we can talk about it in brief if we'd like to, but I think one of the other things is that a lot of, a lot of the times at these conferences, you know, the conference is, uh, or sorry, the talk is being given by a, by someone that's representing a company that was a sponsor at the event. Mm -hmm. The person giving the talk isn't necessarily the industry expert or even the, the company expert about that thing. Mm -hmm. They've just been deputized to give the talk. And so what that happened, what, what happens with that is that the person isn't familiar with the slides. And so they're kind of reading them along with you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they may or may not have all the information necessary for the, for the talk. Um, and, and it's really, it, it's almost, it's almost like checking the box of, okay, so we were a sponsor, we got to together talk, right. we gave the talk. Right. As, a, as opposed to, if I was putting on the event, if I was the organizer, okay, so if, if a sponsor wants to give a talk, that's great. But let's make sure that that talk is of value. You don't, mm. like in my opinion, you don't get the stage just because you paid money to be a sponsor. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to take 10, 15, 20, 40 minutes of the, of the entire, you know, convention floor or the entire audience's time, I think that you're compelled, in my opinion, the company or the, you know, the presenter should be compelled to bring, bring the goods. I mean, like, you know, if, if we're sitting there, I mean, you know, and, uh, another example, I was sitting at a conference about two months ago and I, and I mentioned this one to you as well. Again, it was about water management. This was arguably the largest, it's, it's put up by heart energy. It's arguably the largest, it's called the executive oil conference. It's arguably, arguably one of the largest ones that heart energy does on a yearly basis. There was a room of about 300 people. There was an entire day from eight to four of, of talks given. Again, this was, I, I was I'm very rel you know, relatively brand new. In that room, I was probably the least experienced in the entire market of the entire room. Mm -hmm. And I didn't pick up anything. There yeah. wasn't anything that I picked up an entire day. And so if that's the case for me, you know, how do you think that the 25-year vet sitting in row two feels? Right, right. right. No, I, I agree. Um and, you know, we talked about that on the show, I believe, um, when you came back from it. Some of your your, your frustrations we had on a we had a guest. I think I think but, you're right. But, yeah, um, I think you're right. But no, I, you know, let me just let me contrast that with the best conference I've ever been to, um, and, and tell you why it was and why I think it was. And let's see if this can help. I'm curious your thoughts and if this will put us in the right direction. So, um, you know, I was at the Bush China conference. Um, what was it? Two months ago now, something like that. October, late October. And a month and a half, I guess now. And, um, you know, I, I've told them, and they're not paying me to say this or anything, but it was the best conference I've ever been to. And the, and I've wondered why. And I th so the talks were pretty good. They were interesting. Um, 
one of the one of the deals was the talks were off the record, so you couldn't. Of course, you're not signing NDA, so I guess people could go into divulge. But you know, I'm not going to come on here and say what was said. But um, you got to hear from you know Neil Bush. You got to hear from the Chinese ambassador to the U.S. Um, now they were writing prepared statements. They weren't off the cuff, just talking. But you did get to hear high level people talking. Um, you got to hear experts from different parts of. Um, various industries talk about the U.S.-China relations. But the other thing that happened, Ben, was when we would be meeting, like if, if I met you at that conference, we would just start talking and talking about what we do and why we do it. And, and, and then we'd almost kind of go to, well, how can we help each other out? Is there is there some connection here? And, and the only thing I can attribute to that is, is a couple of things. One, we all understood what the dynamic of the Bush-China Foundation is, which is to help promote U.S.-China relations. Two, it was an it was an exclusive event. I mean, you could go, but you would have to pay a bunch of money, and you kind of had to be invited by someone else. And you know, Bob off the street just didn't walk into this thing. So then you create an air in which everyone already feels like the other people in the room are people who can do things. And the third thing is, is the Bush China Foundation. Uh, part of what they do is they kind of vet people for each other. So like, if you're trying to deal with someone from China, they'll kind of help you with that, or vice versa. So it, it, it created this. The only thing I can I can. I can guess is it creates this environment which, you know, if I meet you at a conference, I don't know you. I'm like, okay, well, who's Ben Samuels? What do you do? What are you trying to sell me? Should I try to sell you something? Uh, you know, do I need to, you know, and, and, and we're trying to make this, like you said, it's the same old people and you're trying to make these connections and, and go on. Or if I've seen you, oh, hey, Ben, how's it going? If this was a unique environment, now maybe if they had one once a year or four or five a year, it might change, but this really was different. And it feels like it was those factors that changed it. And if I think about the conferences that you're talking about, like the like the hard energy ones or um, the uh, the Produce Water Society, you you kind of lose the exclusivity of it. Um, you're not really sure why everyone's there. You kind of presume everyone's there to pitch you on something. Um, whereas in the Bush China deal. It was, we're working towards this goal. Sometimes this goal is, uh, yeah, there's business to be had. Sometimes it's just understanding from a different perspective. And so it just had a different feel to it. And that's why I call it the best conference, because a lot of great contacts, a lot of good content. But I didn't have to go through the normal dog and pony that I have to do at a, a Doug or a, or a whatever type conference like you're talking about. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, the two things that I would point out to uh, to that, number one, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't sound like that the Bush China conference, it doesn't sound like the primary reason for that conference was to educate people on a certain topic, right? And so if the primary reason is to put people in in the room together to see if there's synergy and for business development, just by definition at its basis, that's a that's a very different, as you said, it's a very different feel, it's a very different value add proposition, et cetera, right? Because if, if you're not, if you're not standing up there and talking about the you know, some, something technical. I, I'm talking about the, the the conferences where, yeah, networking is a part of it. But the reason that you're going to that conference and sitting in that room is to listen to the talk and and and, and in theory learn something well, about what's being talked. I mean, about. I mean, the pushback. I don't know. I don't want to speak for the Bush China people on what they would say, uh, but it was talks all day long. There was no booths. There was no vendors. Uh, it was talks all day long, every day. Um, and then you had a handful of networking breaks. But when you came out of the networking break. We all, again, we all kind of had this this idea of this is. But, does that make? Well, go ahead. But, but everybody, everybody, and you tell me if I'm wrong. But everybody in the room had one goal in mind: Who can I do business with here? What's that business look like? 
you know, what can I do to further that, that along in these other conferences? There's some people that want to be sold something. There's some people, sorry, there's some, some people that want to sell you something. There's some people that are just there to learn. There's some people that, so you have a, a, a diverse group at these other like hard energy, mm-hmm. except for mm-hmm. conferences mm-hmm. that at the Bush China, I think at a high level, everyone in that room by invite or not was there for a specific reason which is to, to network with each other and figure out kind of what, what you could do together. Is that a fair assessment or, or am I just off base? I, I think it's probably fair on some level. I would say this is that the people that I talked to that were interested, some people were there um, for education because they were just, you know, they're just, you know, whatever their, 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 their deal was. Um, like there was someone from um, one of the ports that was there. And so, you know, I don't know what, what um, deals maybe he was trying to make or not trying to make. Um, but 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 it goes back to something that you touched on there. The people that were there to do business were there to do deals. They weren't there to pitch and sell. And that's that we've talked about that before. But that makes a big difference because if I sit down with you and the preface is, "What do you do with China?" and you're like, "Well, uh, I do this." I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, that's not really what I do." And you're like, "But this has been my experience." Because if you're trying to sell something, you're trying to convince someone. If you're trying to broker a deal with mutually interested partners, you can get to it pretty quickly, and then you can get out of it pretty quickly because you know if, it, if there's uh, um, uh, commonality and similarities, then you, you you know that. Or like there's people there that were doing um, you know in the pharmaceutical space. So that's not really anything I, I know anything about or whatever. So come across them, it's kind of like oh okay, hey, curious, you know, what are some of the larger you know you take a larger issue that you've heard about? How does that tie into what I'm hearing? And then you move on. Um, but they were never. But there wasn't. It didn't feel like that pressure of me trying to sell them on something was sitting there, right? It was. Um, whereas some of these conferences, I think that's what you're getting as is, is, I'm here to sell or I'm here to and 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 if you're a oil and gas company, and you send your CEO, well, that dude's gonna get pitched like 700 times if he walks around the room, <laughs> right? By every service company right. in the industry. And I fully understand. I mean, another element to this that I, that I don't think we've touched on yet is the, uh, a major difference between the conferences like the U.S., uh, you know, the, the Bush China uh, Foundation Conference or like any of these other ones that I'm talking about are, you know, at a, at a high level, anybody that's talking on stage has to keep, have to, has to keep something behind the curtain, right? Mm-hmm. They can't just say, hey, this is exactly how we do everything. Here's what it looks like. Here's, here's the thing behind the, behind the curtain. And so the reason I bring that up is because that in and of itself creates this element of having to put in some more forethought into what am I going to talk about? How, you know, how is this valuable? Because at the same time, you know, if operator X gets up and stands up there and just gives a 15 minute presentation on, you know, their current production and their mm-hmm. current uh, business mm-hmm. model and what they've done the last 12 months, anybody that's anybody that's paying attention already knows all that information. Right. And so you've completely wasted the time of everybody in the audience listening, right. as opposed to if you just, you know, I'm sure anybody, anybody in this industry, any company in this industry, if you gave a little bit of thought into who's going to be in the room, what can I share that would be a value mm-hmm. that would be interesting. That's not giving away the secrets. There's an answer there, but it, it, there just doesn't seem right. I, 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 yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if you reverse engineer it like this. If you said, um, let's just take uh, XTO just to pick a random name. It doesn't matter. Insert producer name here. And XTO and EOG and Marathon or Oxy or whoever, just a handful of people. But they were going to give talks about issues that they face with uh, parent-child issues or water issues or whatever. And they gave a 20-minute talk to an exclusive room of vendors who paid their way to get in or, or whatever, and they told you for 20 minutes, these are the problems that we face, and this is what we've seen. So when we frack a well, we have this problem, or whatever it is. 
that's actually more beneficial than them giving me a lecture on how to frack the well. Because with the right room, you have vendors who might go, oh, we can actually solve that problem. And we can actually write an intelligent paper on how to handle this issue. Or you might hear some, or if you're a vendor, you go, oh, wow, I didn't even know companies were having that issue. I need to go figure out how to fix this issue so I can sell to them. That would be content that would be really valuable because the EMP company said, hey, we, we, everyone's got deficits. I have deficits. You have deficits. We all have problems. Um, here's the problems I have. It's not Q&A. I don't want you to pitch me right here in front of everyone. But here's the problems we have. Here's how we've tried to tackle them. Here's what's worked. Here's what hasn't worked. 30-minute presentation. And at the end, we're done. We're not going to sit because they don't want to get in the being sold to 100 people, and I get that. But now, if you offer the service for that, maybe there's a spot to present a presentation to whoever the operations manager or whatever it is, or when you walk out, you know to call them and say this, that, or the other. Um, or, like I said, you, you don't know how to solve it, but you begin that process. I think that is actually where the value could be if we if we just did it differently instead of them trying to tell you some high-level stuff that we all know and we're all sitting in there because most people in there are probably just wanting to meet the speaker anyways. Uh, and I'd much rather be interested, can I solve their problems, than what are they doing that I could hear on a quarterly earnings call? No, absolutely. And, and Nate, you can cut that, uh, this next part if, if uh, we don't want to put it on air. But I mean, at, at a, uh, what we're talking about, I think, is, and Ryan, forgive me if I'm uh, jumping the gun a little bit, but I mean, you and I have been talking about you know, remedies to this without actually addressing this specifically for, for a long time. I think the, I mean, I think what you just painted is something that, that could be executed at a very high level and would be a fantastic value add as just an ancillary, uh, you know, add-on to, to conferences, not necessarily a, uh, you know, sub, uh, supplanting those. But, you know, if you can get, so like if you have, you know, operations guy at XTO stand up and talk to a room of two dozen people that are in the service business that that person is servicing, hmm. and that way they can pr- they can provide, you know, present, hey, here are the issues that we're facing. Here's what we're looking at. Right. And you know, again, don't, you know, just like you said, don't solicit right now, but you know, here's what we're looking at. Go find a solution. Call, come back to me. Right. I think that would be immensely valuable. I think there would be a lot of traction with that. I think you know, and I know, I know you and I are working on about you know on some stuff like that offline, mm-hmm. and hopefully you know next year. But you know, those are the kind of things. I think those are the answers. But if you reverse engineer that and you bring it back into the conference sphere, mm-hmm. those like it's not necessarily. I mean, yes, there's a benefit to having it be a smaller group of like a couple dozen as opposed to like 300. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the the concept of Let's give some thought to how we can actually provide value and, and actually benefit the people in the room that spent you know a thousand dollars and mm-hmm. a full day to be mm-hmm. here. I think I think you get the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I I agree. And one of the things I talked about in the Text One Guest podcast this morning was um, you know we keep hearing about how bad the industry is doing right now. They're not making money. You know, historically these ideas won't get a lot of traction because everyone's so secretive, but. If you're a company that's sitting there and you're going, you know what, I'm not sure we're going to make it through 2020. We have to figure out ways to cut cost. It would behoove you to take up some of these ideas and figure out how to implement them on your own so that you can figure out what's going on. One of the things that I don't know, I don't know at the C-suite level how much is thought about this. I know on the mid-management level it's thought of on some, but, you know, 
Ben Samuels or Ryan Ray or Ryan Ray's competitor, Ben Samuels' competitor, whoever, because we work for a multitude of companies, we see how things are done. We see the good ways are done, the bad ways are done, and then there's a lot of stuff done that we don't really even have an input on because it's kind of outside of our purview. Um, the secretiveness, which I, I understand and respect that's in the industry, also harms it because there are ways to make your company more efficient and you don't hear the companies calling us up. What I hear, I'll be honest with you, Ben, I hear vendors talking to me going, hey, uh, you know, we can save this, and let's just assume this is true for argument's sake, we can save this company 30% on, you know, on their frat costs or whatever it is. But, you know, the guy in charge of that, he's all for it, but this person over here, their bonus isn't tied to it, so they're not motivated to do anything. Now, I'm not saying every one of those phone calls I get is true, but let's just say that some of them are. If you're the C-suite, and you don't realize that that's a problem that you have, which is making sure that the vendors from various departments or that are targeting your departments are working together um, inside of your company, then you are costing, if you have a publicly traded company, you're costing your stockholders money. You're costing yourself a bonus. Um, so we have to change that narrative. And I don't know what it takes to change the narrative, but it feels like on the outside, we can look at it and say, yeah, uh, okay, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you guys could do better. Um, we can't give away, you know, your competitor's technology to you, but we could definitely advise you on things that you're not even thinking of. So I don't want to like light our industry on fire here and, and call people out or, 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 you know, blaze a new trail here. But I think, I think what that comes down to is it comes down to ego. You have, you have too much ego in these rooms and too much ego in the, at these C-suite levels that, you know, if a service provider can actually provide value, it's, oh, well, we can do it better. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, no, we, we can do that. And, you know, we, we don't need you. Um, or, oh, that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, you know, we're, we're just going to write that off. Oh, yeah, it's a loss, but that's just how we do things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, how, how many times in your business, because I'm not on the service side, how many times in your in your career have you heard an operator or someone that you're trying to, to bring on as a client say something along? Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete! Bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay. That's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. The lines of, oh, we can do that, or... or Oh, you know, oh, that's not a big deal. You know, we're losing money, but it doesn't matter. So, like, how many times? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I could give, I could give stories. I'll give you a story I just heard the other day. I'll give you a story I just heard the other day. Uh, talking to a vendor, and um, anyways, they were saying that they get calls to do X, Y, and Z, and that sometimes because the project that the person wants done isn't large enough, they'll call them back and say, "Add forty to sixty to eighty thousand dollars to the budget, so that we can get it on an AFE and get it done." Just stop and think about that. Now, is $80,000 a lot? We talk about $5 million for a well or whatever. No, but that mentality, that mentality. I mean, if you do, if you do that 150 times a year, it adds up. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so those are the types of things I think we're talking about is, is like, well, you know, um, hey, you know, you know, and it, when he told me this, I mean, I wasn't sitting there like, oh. <gasps> You know, stunned. I was like, "Yeah, you know, okay, yeah." We all got our stories like that, you know, and and it's, it's, you know, it was kind of funny. And for for the the point the point of the story he was telling, it's just kind of okay. That's kind of that's kind of funny, whatever. And uh, but you know, it's like, well, you know, do the does the C suite recognize that? Do they care? I don't know. But if they don't, and you know, when Wall Street talks about cutting spending, um, 
Wall Street talks about oil and gas cutting spending. They have no clue. <laughs> they have no clue about what cutting spending actually means. Wall Street's like, you cut spending by 15%. Okay, well, let me tell you something, Wall Street. It's a lot more going on than, than you buffoons in New York on Wall Street thinks going on. Um, and I wonder, about the C-suite, at the C-suite level, if they're thinking through these things on how they can actually mitigate um, cost overtures. Do they have systems set up to where you need something done, but you can't get it done because it's not costing enough money, so then you incentivize people to charge you more money? That, that that's, that's so crazy. I, I mean, so we've pivoted quite a bit from where we started. Sorry, but, that's, but my in, that's my fault. No, no, no. But in response to that, I mean, I think we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but, but not at length. I mean, what what we're seeing in the industry right now is exactly what you described. We, we're, we're now seeing kind of the crux of Wall Street finally put, you know, putting down their fist of like, listen, you know, the ROI on these, on these companies is not there. And the oil and gas companies realizing that the, I think the conversation, I think we may have ch- talked about this a couple episodes ago, but I think the conversation is changing from how much oil can we pull out of the ground irrespective of how much it costs us? How much oil can we produce so that we can say that we pulled it out of the ground mm-hmm. to how can we make this company the most profit possible? Mm-hmm. And you would think that those two things would be correlated, but in a lot of ways, I would argue that they're negatively correlated. Mm-hmm. That if you're doing one, mm-hmm. the other one is going the other direction. Mm-hmm. Because if your focus is on profit per dollar invested or profit per share for the shareholders, you're probably not going to be focused on, or you're, at the same time, you can't have a singular focus on let's produce, 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 right? right? Because right. if you're focused on profit, you don't drill three and a half mile laterals. You don't, you know, you, there's so many different things, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you drill, you operationally, it changes the picture. Um, you know, on a day-to-day, it changes the picture. Budget-wise, I mean, across the board, if you're talking about profit is now more important than anything, mm-hmm. as opposed to production is more important, you completely have changed the game. And so I think that we're seeing right now a lot of Wall Street money. I mean, you know, we can talk about it on another podcast, but, you know, and these are rough numbers that, that I have picked up, picked up just kind of by association of reading through, um, through a bunch of documents and, or uh, articles, et cetera. But I mean, there's an argument to be made that there's about $100 billion of, of lever debt Mm-hmm. Out, out in the industry right now, just in the Permian Basin, mm-hmm. okay, that's going to be called on in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. lever, that's a, that's a hundred billion dollars of levered debt. That's mm-hmm. not even, that's not even capital, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, <laughs> and so, you know, and again, we can talk about this, we can explain what levered debt means in, in, mm-hmm. at more length on a, at a different time if we want to. Um, but, you know, if you're looking at that, there's, there's going to be so much attrition and there's going to be so many of these companies that are going to get turned belly up. And they're, I mean, there's going to be just a feeding mm-hmm. frenzy of the big majors buying up everybody below them because the conversation is, has changed so quickly and they're just going to run out of time. They're going to run out of money. You mm-hmm. see, you're seeing the same thing in the mineral space. There have been a number of mineral, big mineral funds that have rolled up or, or at least significantly reduced their CapEx uh, going into 2020. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's kind of nasty out there, and I think the reason that, and but that's nothing to do with production numbers. We're obviously at an all-time high there. Mm-hmm. It's it has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with well economics. I mean, I, I'm a, and again, I'm not the operations guy, but I know enough to know that that there's you know there are processes and ways to drill a well econ- economically out in the Permian at like sub forty dollar oil, mm-hmm. and if and if we're at fifty if we're at fifty eight, we can't we, we're not turning a profit. Like there's something seriously wrong with the picture. Yeah, and. Yeah, you covered a lot of ground there, so I'm going to try to maybe pick up a couple of things. One is um, 
you know, the idea about the link to the, link to the lateral. One of the things we had, uh, David Blackman come on, Texas One Guest Podcast a while back, and he talked about, um, even further back, he said that if you look at the Permian as a bunch of experiments that are going on, every day they're trying to figure out exactly the best way to, most efficient way to um, drill these horizontal wells in the Permian. That, that's one one thing. And the second thing is, he said later on, uh, a year or two later, was um, that horizontal wells, uh, fracking wells, uh, compared to conventional wells, requires more expertise than uh, conventional wells does. And so we probably have a lot of folks out there in the Permian who aren't actually, I don't, I don't know if the right word is qualified, aren't the best men for the job, if that makes sense. Aren't the best men for the job, but they have the money, they have the, the staff, and so they go out there and do that, but they're probably not the actual right team for the job. And so some of this, you talk about attrition, some of this attrition I think we're going to see is because you do have folks who, you know, they're not really skilled enough to do this. And let's be honest, doing a three mile lateral takes a lot of skill and to get it max, to get the efficiencies maximized out of it takes even more skill. Um, Whereas you might can do a, a one-mile lateral and get better returns because you don't have the, the skill set. Deloitte told us a few weeks ago that, that the length of the lateral really depends on who's doing it, which kind of goes in that same sentiment. Some folks have long laterals, and they get, long, they get good results. Some, some folks have long laterals, and they don't get good results. Um, but but being, there's not it doesn't feel like there's conversation happening about um, you know, how practices – you know, let's get out of our silos. Let's think about this. Um, and so what happens is, is what you see, which is you go to conferences and there's just a, high, a lot of high level talk and not a lot of little practical things. And listen, there's people far more plugged into the industry than me and you. So not like we're the, the number one ranked insiders or anything like that. I can just tell you just what I hear on the street, which is the same thing over and over again. And it's my same experience too. Same thing. You know, no one, they don't like to listen. They don't want to know what you have to say. The C-suite or this department, they're not connected. And it's not, it's not like you're trying to bash anyone. It's just simply saying, hey, guys, maybe you should reconsider this. There are other ways. And not that we have all the answers, but like you say, I can't answer the questions, uh, some of these questions, but there are people who can. So I posted an article, it looks like uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, maybe yesterday, by uh, Rystat Energy, uh, who's, you know, they put out a, lo- a lot of uh, data in the space. I'm just going to read a, a, a sentence in here because I think it codifies really well what, what we're talking about. It says, so it's talking about uh, the Delaware Basin and it's talking about lateral length as opposed to or, uh, at when compared to DNC cost. It says, in other words, a 9,500 foot lateral with 25% lower productivity per foot than a 4,500 foot lateral will still deliver identical F and D cost per barrel of oil equivalent. And so, I mean, if you're looking at things like that, you know, okay, so it, it makes sense to, to drill, you know, maybe it makes sense to drill a 1280, but there's, all, you know, there's argument to be made. Maybe it actually makes sense to drill to, you know, two 640s as opposed mm-hmm. to a 1280. And I, under, and I understand now we're getting into like, lease maintenance and all those kind of things. I mean, sure. it's, a, it's a more texture picture than just picking a lateral length. But I, but I guess the point being, how in the world, and I'm, 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 I guess I'm picking on the Chinese for a second, how in the world does Surge even conceptualize drilling a 17,800 foot lateral at any level, number one, mm-hmm. but then how do they actually do, how do they actually like think it's a good idea to actually go out on the ground and actually do it? Other than the only the only reason I can think of is that they wanted to make the news, right? They they wanted to draw the longest lateral. There's there's no there's no data you can point to that makes it 
makes sense that it was an economic decision that they thought that they would be more profitable by doing that. And if they if they did, that's I mean that's a, that, that's another conversation. And you know they they have some operational uh, you know issues or whatever, right? But I mean at a, you know if they if they intended to do that, clearly weren't doing it profit minded, right? Well, I go back to what Deloitte said. Deloitte said it depends on the operator. That some that, that they do see some longer laterals with operators are more effective than others. So I, I don't know about Surge's case. I do feel like the Surge thing, some is tied up with the news, obviously. Um, so I, I don't. I, I think that to, I think anyone drilling the longest lateral is tied up with the news on some level, right? So I, so it doesn't matter if Surge, Samuels, Ray, whomever, you're trying to make your little headline there. Uh, even if you thought it was the most profitable thing to do, you still would want everyone to know that you did the longest lateral. So I don't think you can yeah, – yeah, I, I don't think you can separate those two things. Um, you know, it's hard It's hard with the private back companies because we don't get access to their information. You know, and that's the thing about Rystead you got to keep in mind is they're, they're going off of the publicly traded companies and they're not getting the information as much on the privately backed companies. And so it does it does kind of skew the numbers. But to go back to, to something here, Ben, um, as we kind of talk through this, you know, why are the conferences struggle or why are they not very good or, or however, why they suck or however you want to however you want to you want to phrase that um and listen i don't want to be in the conference business like hard energy is they're trying to get they need what a thousand people to show up at their events that uh, to have a to good show let's compare that with nape nape we hadn't talked about nape one thing about nape is it has a unique ability to bring in decision makers and wheeler dealers um on both sides of the table buyers and sellers so if you walk around nape there's dudes with booths and they're trying to sell stuff and there's dudes that have money and they're trying to buy stuff why do you think NAEP is, uh, and I don't, I don't go to the presentations at NAEP, so I can't speak to those, but why do you think NAEP is able to do it better than Hart is? Is it because they're incentivizing um, people that want to buy and sell, and those aren't typically the big corporate XTO EOG types or something else? What is it about NAEP that gives them the ability? Because if you just walk around NAEP, you can at least get a vibe of what the market is just by walking around. For 400 bucks. you can get a pretty good vibe of what's going on. So why do you think that is that NAEP's got it? Uh, better than maybe the hard energy does. Number one, I think it's just it's it's the preeminence of that conference, right? I mean, anybody that's anybody that's in the, the AD space and oil and gas or surface space is going to be at NAEP, right? Mm-hmm. And so that being said, NAEP doesn't have you know a conference a month or you know they they, they have a conference in the summer. They have a conference in the winter. They used to have a Rockies conference. And they used to have a, a one in Pittsburgh. They don't even do the, either of those anymore. They literally just have two a year. Mm-hmm. And so if you have two a year, you can stack the conference with the right speakers with, that are topical. Uh, but also I think that uh, they, I do think that they do a really good job of making it, making it, sorry. <laughs> they do a really good job of making sure the speakers at the events are not just getting up there and just talking about whatever. I mean, they have prospect review uh, conf- or, uh, talks that mm-hmm. you, there's a, there's someone getting up there and giving you the actual very granular. This is exactly what we're doing. We need money. If you want to invest, come mm-hmm. talk to us. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a different conference because I think there's more of an impetus to actually provide the value. I mean, I think at a high level, I think they're doing it the right way. I think, I think that they, Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say one thing I thought about when you're talking is NAEP also, the vendors at NAEP aren't your typical vendors. So if you go to a pipeline conference, you're going to have uh, construction guys, folks like myself, um, you know, welding guys or, or whatever, which have a lot of a lot of um, business development type budgets to deploy to go to these events. Uh, I think it's what, $400 to walk NAEP, something like that. And I've heard people go, man, it's, you know, that's, that's pretty expensive to walk the conference. And I'm like, 
four hundred bucks. Like that's really not. But it seems that that price point is actually the right price point to make sure that while it's a big conference, you do kind of have it exclusive. And if you want a booth at NAEP and you're not a prospect, it's really expensive. So you really have to have with like 6000 bucks to booth at NAEP. So if you're going to booth there, you really have to fork over a lot of money. So it's a huge conference, but maybe it does the way the, the – um, as the, some of the things you point to in the price points do give it more of an exclusive feel because you don't have large, you know, uh, for Ben Samuels, he might go, I don't know, is it worth 400 bucks? I got to fly down there. I got to do a hotel. I don't know. The market's not that great right now. Okay, well, and so you don't go. Well, so, you know, two things. Number one, it's not just 400 bucks, right? It's 400 bucks plus flight plus hotel plus the other the other misnomer is plus the time. Yeah. Right? Right. So, so Nate, Nate is – if you go to the entire thing, it's think it's three days. Something Some of these other right. conferences are, you know, are full day or two days. Mm-hmm. I mean, so in addition to, so like I, I'm lucky I live in Midland. So a lot of the conferences are in Midland, right? So I don't have any travel expenses. I don't have to pay for a hotel when they're in Midland, but I still have to spend the time. If you're, you know, I, I know somebody that came in a couple of weeks back for a conference um, that I was a sponsor for. He came in from Florida mm-hmm. um, for a full day conference, but he came in from Florida. He booked the flight like three days prior to the conference because I was talking to him about it. And I mean, I don't know what he spent, but I mean, in terms of flight and hotel, uh, that, that was probably a pile of money, especially being in Midland, right? Like, right. You probably, probably probably paid up pretty good to do that. No cheap and, hotel. And the conference, no, the conference was, it was a full day. I think it was $600. Um, and I'll be candid. The, the conference, there was, so I'll give, I'll give a very, I'll give one example that gives you a good idea. There was somebody talking about a, a new emissions technology that has started to take hold in California because out in California, they have very rigorous standards and, and whatever. And so this emissions technology was, has really like taken off there. And this guy, granted, the company was a sponsor for the event. So again, that's why he was on stage, but he was talking about this technology. And one of the, one of the people in the Q&A, one of the guys on the floor, at least a half dozen times, there was a back and forth, at least a half dozen times asked this question in different ways, but basically said, you stood up in front of us and talked for 20 minutes about things that are happening in California. It's a vastly different environment out here. You know, how does this apply to the Permian? Mm-hmm. And the response in different ways, half dozen times from the speaker was, oh, well, you know, it's happening in California today, so it's going to be happening in your backyard tomorrow. Right. And, and it's, you know, Okay, so so number one, the speaker was clearly out of his element. He didn't know what room he was speaking to. Mm. But the other level, the other layer of that is, who in the world made the decision to give that guy the stage? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those, those are the kind of things that I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. so, so circling back, so I mean, so the, but the entire day was similar to that. I mean, there was very little value actually provided, and so. And not only that, it was I mean, for whatever it's worth, it was at the Petroleum Club. So I mean, and so like the the room was yeah, you know, a little bit more upscale. Yeah. And so I just, uh, I'm just not very taken aback by things like that because, you know, a $600 conference probably costs you like two grand. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you, you uh, paid in conferences last year. Cause I know that you use the media pass when you can, et cetera. But I mean, I probably paid upwards of $10,000 easily in conference expenses just in a year. And that, and I didn't even go to all of them. I went to the ones that I thought were really important. And I, and I try to go to many of them in Midland because I'm out here. Um, but you know, but, Ten grand a year. I mean, that's a carry cost that a lot of people can't even fathom affording, much less like just right into the budget, right? Right. right. No, you're right. I, I use the media pass if it's something that I want to go and, and cover from a podcast standpoint or whatnot. But I pay, you know. But even then, 
I got to pay to go down there. I got to, you know, I'm not doing anything else. Um, you know, I was just in China for 10 days. Um, well, when I'm in China, I mean, I did some work, but not much because I was 14 hours, as you know, I was 14 hours ahead. It was hard to communicate back here and, and all that stuff. And so that's obviously China's the extreme um, of, of what we're talking about. But, you know, and, and luckily I had the group that, that the organizer stuff were nice enough to bring me over, so I had to pay for that. But I did lose a lot of productivity um, by my own choice. I'm not complaining, but, 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 but being gone, that's something. Like you say, you're, you go to a conference and, okay, if it's a good conference, then you can't pick up the phone to be emailing because you got to be engaged in the conference. If it's a bad conference, then you're emailing all day and you might, have stayed at, you might as well stay at the office, right? And so no matter, so if it's a good conference, you're fine ignoring the phone calls and emails because that made it worth it. But if you're checking emails and texting all day and you're walking out to hop on conference calls, then you're, you, you probably could have just stayed at the office or, 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 or whatever. It reminds me of the, uh, the call or the uh, conversation that you and I had a couple months back, I think it was, where we were talking about, you know, res- irrespective of how much you and I earn on a yearly basis, you know, what do we actually value our time mm-hmm. at on an mm-hmm. hourly basis? Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of brings, it brings to that, right? So if, so if I were to tell, you know, if I were to, to broadcast, you know, what number I gave you uh, that day, and if you were to extrapolate that over an eight-hour conference or a two-day, you know, 15-hour conference, I mean, that's a lot of money. That I'm sinking into this thing, 4. right? 4.5 million a quarter. Yeah, I think that's what you said. <laughs> 4.5 million a quarter. So I can't even do the math. You, you, you didn't give me the yearly. It was like a per quarter, 4.5 million. So I don't even know how to do it. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't even have a problem saying it on air. We, we can delete it if we'd like to. But the number I gave you that day, I, I told you my um, the, the way I value my time. This isn't what I charge. But the way that I value my time, $600 an hour. And so if you're talking about $600 an hour over a two-day conference, that's, that's a lot of opportunity cost money spent. Yeah. Yeah. See, I value mine as potential upside. So the, the time is, the time is you know, what's, what's the potential upside? So, um, you know, 600 bucks an hour is, you know, is, uh, you, know, my, you, know, you know, my minimum fee to get involved is $10 million. So, you know, that's kind of, <laughs> is, is it going to be more than $10 million or not? That's kind of where I start at. So. I mean, what, what, what do we say? We all have different we all have different ways of looking at it, you know. <laughs> Nate, Nate's Nate's down here just taking notes. He's taking like, notes, okay, yeah. so if Ryan if Ryan's making ten million and I get one yeah, yeah. percent, <laughs> if Ryan's so, making ten million, then we're not doing the show anymore. Wait, no, we're doing more shows. Wait, I did that backwards. We're doing more podcasts if Ryan's getting his ten million dollar fee. I want to raise. Yeah, no, how about this? If, if how about this? If uh, the for the first the first time that you show me a ten million dollar check written out to Ryan Ray Senior, like. Mm-hmm. Actually, on the check, mm-hmm. I'll jump in. I'll jump in the lake the next January. How about that? Well, what about if it's written out to Arshur Global because it's a deal I closed? Is that different? Me personally, well, man, the the the, the commies that run this country are going to tax me more if I get it met to me personally. So, you might have noticed a slight cut in the podcast there for a minute. What happened was is Ben broke like sixteen NDAs at one time, so we had to amend that to keep us all from being sued. Maybe under federal indictment. What I was going to say, Ben, You're fired, ben. before you said that is, I don't get the checks made out to me. I get it in cash. Which, wait, now that I say that, that might be worse than what you said. But Ryan we're going to roll with that. We're going to roll with the cash. You, the cash isn't traceable. I will die on that hill. My ten million dollars is money bags is laying around somewhere, allegedly. God, allegedly. God, I. I I really hope one of us has like an FBI or IRS like agent in our in our listener or like in our audience. Oh, God, good please. grief! Good grief! 
Yeah, please start with Ben, uh, and then come to me. It'll take you a few years to work through all of his stuff. So, <laughs> by the time I'll be yeah, out no, of the country. No, exactly. If you want the slam dunk, go to Ryan. <laughs> mine's going to be a lot wait, more complicated. Wait, 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 wait. Because I'm telling on Ben, I get a cut of it. I'm a whistleblower. That's the rule. I'm a whistleblower. Go, go, go check out Ben's stuff and give me my cut. That's, there, there it is. Let's, cut, let's roll to credits. Ben, it was great to have you on the show today. <laughs> It was great to have you on the show today. IRS, please send that check in the mail. Um, I do not take cash for anything. Everything I do is recorded, documented, and taxed appropriately. I actually overpay taxes just because I love my country that much. I'm a true patriot. Ben, any final thoughts before <laughs> before we get out of here today? Bitcoin only, huh? Big, big <laughs> I would, I would like my payment in Bitcoin, please. Thank you. Bitcoin. That, 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 that MSA that we just signed, yeah. I'd like that in Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Thank you. Did Bitcoin hit zero yet or not? I know it was like dying on the vine the other day. I don't even know. I, I, I don't even know. Don't um, even know. So I'll, t- I'll tell a short story before we sign off. Um, that'll, uh, what? No? You don't want me to? I was looking at Bitcoin. Go ahead. I was looking at the price. Go ahead. Oh, 73.15. Okay. At the moment. Okay. Um, so I moved a couple of weeks back and I have, um, I've got a number of those hardware wallets for my cryptocurrency that, that I hold. Um, and for the people that don't know, they are, I'm going to make this really brief and, and at a high level, you have to have a password that is specific to your device that can't be copied. And without that code, if so, if I were to lose the code to my device, I, I would never be able to get into the device nor would anyone else. You have to have the code in order to get in no matter what. Um, and so I, I was moving and I put the, the wallets, you know, the hardware wallets in one place and I put the, the notes of what the codes were in a different place to make sure that they weren't together because if they were together and they got lost, like lose I lose everything. all the money no right. matter what. Right? You lose. This so sounds like to, a lose-lose proposition we're going down, but go ahead. Sort of. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm, I'm driving in a budget truck from, from Colorado to, uh, to Texas. I, so on the Colorado side, I paid the, um, some people to pack the truck, but I packed every single box and taped every single box. And, and nobody, you know, that mm. I did that. People, people moved the stuff onto the truck. Mm. I drove the truck to Texas, and then in Texas, in Midland, I had uh, another company come and unload the stuff into my apartment. But but there was nobody like in transit that like touched it or anything like that. And so I'm unpacking stuff and I've only been in the apartment for like three weeks now and I was unpacking stuff and I wasn't really worried about it because I knew that I was going to like working through things or whatever. And I found like on the second day, I found the wallets. Um, and then like days later, I hadn't found the, the, um, the codes yet. And I'm like starting to get a little freaked out because I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a small amount of money that I have invested in these things. And so far to lose that, I mean like literally lose, you know? Yeah. So I was getting a little bit, a little bit concerned. And then I got to, I had unpacked every single box in my apartment and hadn't found them yet. And so then like panic started to set in. I'm like, this is not, this is not good. Like what in the, like what happened? So, so I like called the complex and I was like, can you make sure that, you know, anybody that was in there, like, was there a piece of paper that I left? Mm-hmm. Like whatever. I, like, in my head, I was like, there's no possible way that I left it there, but like trying everything. Sure. Right. 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 I'm rifling, I'm rifling through a notebook that I had that was packed in the same box as some other stuff in the notebook. I had, th- I had p- apparently I had put the, the notes or the, the codes inside the notebook, but folded them so that they were kind of like attached oh, to the binding. Oh, so they couldn't, so they couldn't come out. Yeah. And I, and I, I had a guy, I guess I had forgotten that I did that because I mean, when I did that, I, I found all four of them. Like it wasn't a problem, but, but I, 
yeah, I was like literally for a couple of days there, but, like my heart was racing. I was like, I mean, I'm not gonna like, you know, I'm not gonna mention numbers, but I mean, it was it's a number. No wonder um, you've been cranky so much lately. Yeah, this week has been bad. I mean, I've been sick. I, I, I've been sick. I thought I was. I thought I was out a pile of money. Uh, um, well, well, the good news here is a couple <laughs> things. One, you're a long. You've told me you're a long term buy and hold Bitcoin guy. So by the time you get rid of it, it'll be less far. It'll be worth far less than it is today. So you wouldn't have lost much as eventually because it'd be worth like ten bucks by the time you decide to sell it. So really, it felt like a big loss today. But really, it wouldn't have been. So let me encourage you by saying that. Second, if you decide to give me those wallets and codes, I will cash them out for you. I'll make sure that the, I'll make sure they're set up properly just to transact on them. Be happy to take care of that for you. Um, third, I don't know how. Can we, I make a, can, can, can we make a bet on air? Can we like make before you go to third? Can we, can we make a live bet on air? Potentially, what's the bet? So within the next. Actually, I don't want to put a time limit on it. Yeah, within time. the next three, within when the next three years, if Bitcoin is not over fifty thousand dollars of Bitcoin, I'll pay you five thousand dollars. But if it is, then you have to pay me five thousand dollars. So it's five G's. What? So we got to talk about it. if it hits it because you got big money bags. You might go in there and just pump and dump it. So you're talking like long term hit fifty k or just hit fifty k one time. Just has to blip above above fifty one time for even a split second. It's so volatile. It could do that, and then go like to a dollar the next day. That's that's the. Let me think so, about it. So 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 you don't have so you don't have uh, you know you don't want to back up your trash talk. No no, okay. no 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 no. If you said it was going to uh, be above fifty thousand and stay there for months on end, I would take that in a heartbeat. But to, to hit it for a second, it hit twenty thousand or something like last year, and now it's now it's at seven. So it can do a high peak, but then it just dies. So in the question the, is, the next are three the peaks years, higher? In the next three years, if Bitcoin is above fifty thousand dollars for seven consecutive days, again, it could do that. How long was it? Nineteen thousand a couple years ago. We'll negotiate. I mean, it was only nineteen thousand for a couple. We'll negotiate, we'll negotiate off here. We'll come back to something with the listeners, and uh, we'll put we'll put five Gs on. I'm sure we can come to terms on it. And uh, uh, it, it, what was third, by the way? Before we sign off, what was third? What were you going to say? Third was I don't know how I, I don't, third is because I don't think it's going to be worth anything by the time you sell it. I don't know how I would have reacted. Like, would I have been sad of the present value of the money for you, or would I have laughed at the the future non-value of the money? It would have been I'd have been torn. I'd have been torn on how to how to react. Now, if you were going to cash it out today and you'd have lost, you know, the hundreds of millions that you have tied up in it, I would have been sad. But because you're not, it's kind of hard for me to understand. How much should I mourn this loss that didn't actually happen because it's not going to be worth anything? That would have been the question. I thought I, I feel like I thought you liked money more than you apparently do. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Ben. It was good to get back on here. Hope you get feeling well, buddy. I know you've toughed it through for us. It was your Jordan flu game, and so we appreciate that. Um, for the listeners, five star review for bringing the closers. Text along guest podcast. I think it's like maxed out or something, so no worries on that. And uh, Nate will be. <laughs> in the lake here in January. So we'll have some posts about that for your entertainment. Ben, good talk to you. We'll be back next week. Sounds good, Ryan. Appreciate it. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete! Bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh. 
My laptop was up there too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. What? What happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there too. <laughs>、uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection.